We are in the midst of the Australian reporting season. Of course, in the US, it started well for share prices. Investors threw caution to the wind for a while, but that's changed now. But what about Australia? Is there a reason to be more cautious? And how much of that depends on how we see the economy going and how much further squeeze we're going to get from the RBA? In short, when it comes to shares, with so much going on, what do you do? We'll try and give you some perspective on this week's Weekend Edition. The Morning Call from NAB with Phil Dobby. Weekend edition. And uh, remember, this is not a product of the NAB Markets team. It's our chance to talk to uh, more areas of the bank and from people outside as well. So, so the opinions that you're going to hear don't always reflect those of NAB, although that we are staying inside the bank this week with Gemma Dale. She's Director, Self-Managed Super Funds and Investor Behaviour at NAB. And she's here to talk shares, Australian shares, as we launch into Another pretty busy week or two in the Australian reporting season. Of course, we've already had a, a pretty busy week. Actually, what's, I mean, just a general question to start with, Gemma. I mean, has it been going so far? Have there been many disappointments or has it been fairly upbeat? Been pretty quiet so far. Like the really, really big news starts next week and then the week after. So, so far, it's kind of toe in the water stuff. We've had CBA. And everyone's, everyone's very interested in CBA, but other than that, nothing massive. We'll talk about that in a bit. Well, in normal times, of course, we would have looked at things like earnings, EPS, you know, price to earnings ratios, whatever, you know, your favourite way of assessing past performance. But it's different now, isn't it? Because there's the question of how much higher the RBA is going to go, how much the economy is going to slow down, how much consumer and business confidence falls or rises. I mean, there's lots of known unknowns. And that presumably, you know, if we look at forward guidance, for example, that presumably makes it a little more sketchy because everyone's still in the dark. So how do you really value stocks right now? Yeah, it, honestly, it feels like it's all about guidance and it's all about macro. And I say this as someone who studied economics and then spent 20 years wondering why I studied economics because it was just largely irrelevant with the wonderful exception of the GFC. No one cared, right? Inflation data didn't matter. Rates moved marginally here and there, not much happened. And then now it's all about the macro outlook. And in reporting season at the moment, anyway, if we exclude anything sort of in the materials sector specifically, if you look at the rest of the market, what happened in the 2023 financial year is in the deep, dark past now, right? Like what we're concerned about is what is happening now, because for half of that time, rates were half what they are. And that acceleration of rates and the stickiness of inflation, what's it doing to the consumer? Our business is under pressure. We want to see what your run rate looks like immediately. I want yesterday's data. I don't care what happened last July. That's not relevant to me anymore. Tell me what's happening. What's your outlook? Where's your guidance? So you're right. It's hard to value things in that environment. And what we're finding is that people, certainly for the few results we've had so far, the market is responding on the outlook, on the very recent run rate, and on things like whether or not you're passing through price increases. They're much less worried about traditional metrics at the but moment. But can we believe the guidance? Because, I mean, the, the, as I say, you know, they're as much in the dark as we are. I mean, no business really knows where we're going to be in a year's time. <laughs> Look, you know, they're worried about forward orders, for example. There's a fair amount of data you can rely on. And you can also rely on the quality of management. Have they been consistent in their guidance in the past? Are they pretty good at telling you what they believe is going to happen? Or are they trying to uh, factor in a bit of uplift, uplift into their share price and ensure their bonuses? It's hard to say. So I think to an extent, the market knows who they can trust and whether the data they're relying on is quality or not. And 
If not, you can see things getting punished at the moment. Yeah, it is, who's running the shop is a really good point, isn't it? Actually, what's the quality of management? Look out, look out for that one. So what about, you know, you talked about the macro, but also, you know, just what about uh, what's happening to share markets around the world? So over the last year, US share indices, they're up 7 or 8 or 9%. In Europe, the DAX is up 15%. The ASX 200, just 4% up. And really, over the last two years, I mean, we've not seen much of an increase in value. It's been pretty stagnant. And yet, you know, the OECD is saying the Australian economy is going to grow 1.8% this year, which may not sound a lot, but it's more than the US. It's twice what's expected in the euro area. So with that growth, does it follow that that is going to be reflected in, in share values, in which case... You know, is there room for optimism? Could we see shares break out a little this year? Oh, it's a very optimistic view. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can be optimistic at times. I love it. I love it. It's great. Well, it's how we want to look at it. I mean, markets are forward-looking, and I think that is very apparent at the moment. Prices are subdued. They're not super cheap, right? I mean, we're still talking, you know, PEs of 14, 15 plus for the market, and we'll get a much clearer idea of what that is once we've got a better handle on the E, getting the E you know, right now as we speak. And so you're looking at a market that's not super cheap. When I look at NAB Trade, which is the part of the business I work in, our guys love a cheap market. That's when they start to buy. They don't like this kind of pricing where it feels fairly fully priced. You know, things are okay. They're not fantastic. But you've got to remember the Australian market's really, really different to the US and the other markets you were talking about. We don't have a lot of those super high growth companies, but what we do have is a sensational dividend yield. So you're getting 5.5% plus franking credits. For a lot of our investors, that's what they're there for, right? They're here for an amazing yield. And if the market's pretty boring and not much is happening, that's all right. So if those dividends up. dip, does everyone just shy away from them really quickly or do we do, do we ride the storm and say, well, okay, everyone's going through a difficult time right now? Uh, that depends very much on the company. <laughs> you know, if the quality of the money gets back to the quality of the well, management. quality of money, but yeah. also like what does your market look like? Um, we saw a lot of dividends cut during COVID, including the banks, and they were either put on pause or cut. You know those guys are coming back, right? They're going to start paying you again. Most of our investors held them and bought more during that period. So you talked about, you know, we haven't got a lot of high growth companies in Australia. So, I mean, the obvious question right now, I mean, uh, how does inflation play into stock choices? Perhaps it's less important here because we haven't got so many high growth companies because the temptation obviously is to shy away from high growth if you think their future valuations are not going to be realised. Well, the critical thing for inflation, and we're seeing it already in how the market is responding to a couple of the results that have come through, markets looking really clearly for your ability to pass on higher prices to your customers. If you can pull that off, even if your total volumes are falling, we're okay with that. James Hardy bounced 15% on their results, despite the fact their overall profit was down. So you have this scenario where pricing power matters. And interestingly enough, our most innovative companies tend to be in the healthcare sector. When you look at your CSLs and your cochleas, they look big and boring, but they have exceptionally high quality levels of innovation. They've been doing this for a long time. They own their markets globally. They do incredibly well, and they tend to have reasonably good pricing power because they're in that sector. So that's what investors are interested in. Can you pass on the high prices? Otherwise, inflation's not super relevant if you're getting your margins crushed. That's when we worry. Yeah, and that is a good question, isn't it? What are the sectors where margins can be passed on? And I guess, you know, we are concerned about health. We're not going to scrimp and save, so we perhaps will accept higher prices. So health is a good example. There's probably some others as well. That's the one that's outstanding at the moment. We haven't had those results yet. It's always quite interesting for investors 
James Hardy is building products, right? This <laughs> is not very innovative, or you wouldn't have thought so. Uh, but they were able to pass through those price increases, and that's what people were interested in. And we've had CBA this week. That's the one where you're going to pass through your price increases, right, in the form of higher rates. They are absolutely going to affect all of your mortgage holders. How are they holding up? right? Are they able to maintain their repayments or are they just collapsing under the weight of that extra pressure? At the moment, they're holding up okay. And that's what the market is desperate to see. So all of that and and, and the share market generally all reflects on just how far is the RBA going to push, of course, which gets back to the whole macro question. You talked about tech for a sec there. I mean, in the US, the NASDAQ Mm. is up almost 40% year to date. Uh, but of course, you know, the tech sector is very sizable in the United States. If you've got a great idea, you tend to jump on the first plane over to Silicon Valley, don't you? So uh, what about tech in Australia and what are our potential high growth uh, sectors? I know uh, the CEO of Rio Tinto has been saying, well, look, you know, we are a tech company because he points out, you know, <laughs> they st- it doesn't sound like it, does it? But he's put- So is Domino's Pizza. It's amazing what can be a tech company. <laughs> well, this, this, is, this is a quote from the AFR last week because he was talking at the, uh, the, the mining uh, club society or whatever it is, uh, pointing out that their first mining operation back in 1873, they used new technology and processes, and that's why they were they were so successful. So I guess I mean that's I mean that's technology, but it's all, it's also innovation, isn't it? So I guess that's what we've got to look out for companies that are doing that. Yeah, you asked the point about innovation and about tech. I think we do two things extremely well, and they are massively dominant on the ASX, and that is banking and mining. That's what we do, and. They're not terribly exciting industries, let's be honest. They are not super high growth industries by anyone's imagination, but we tend to do them fairly well. Helps if you've got an oligopolistic position, obviously. But but I was telling you off air and I'll say it on air and then you'll be mean to me in some fashion. But when I first (laughs) moved to the UK, we had FBOS in Australia and had had it for some time, like since I was a teenager. And I moved to the UK and they had a system called Switch, which I am assuming is no longer the dominant form of payment. But it took 36 36 hours to tell you whether or not you had funds in your account to pay a bill. It was unbelievable. And, you know, this is transactions at the supermarket. So the Australian banks, and in all fairness, New Zealand had FPOS before we did. Fine. Uh, But, you know, in all fairness, Australian banks are quite innovative, certainly if you compare them to the US where everything's still done by check. Yeah. Well, no, that has changed. I mean, it's all fintech now, you know, which which is taking over and, you know, so... The ability to move funds around, but I mean that's a global thing, isn't it? That's that's the challenge, isn't it? How many global companies are going to be in that fintech space, giving us those apps that sit on our mobile phones that you can do wonderful things with? Uh, and yeah, that's a challenge for the banks, I guess. What about um, what about green tech? So Carl Schwartz from the RBA said this week we need a substantial boost to finance sustainable projects. Is there an op- opportunity there for us to to do more in the green space? I mean, obviously, you know, we know Australia's got to lift its game in this space. So presumably there's going to be more money spent. Look, if you look at the ASX, <laughs> green tech is lithium. Tons and tons of lithium miners that everybody's super happy to pile all their money into. And that is... Yeah, we tend to be really good at digging stuff out of the ground, the point that we've made earlier. We're not so fabulous at turning it into something that you can then use. That's the next step. And the innovation's occurring. I think one of the biggest challenges is a lot of the innovative technology that you might want to invest in is not available to the average investor, right? So some of Australia's most investable companies, certainly most exciting companies like Canva, like Atlassian, 
Alassian listed in the US, Canvas unlisted. You know, how do you get access to that tech? And then green tech, a lot of the work is done in universities and the average person is not going to participate in that until it's, you know, well and truly in market. So much less fun. Uh, so let's hope we get better at that. There's certainly a fair amount of global funding for it. Want to participate. And travel's interesting, isn't it, right now? Because people are still flying. I mean, uh, you know, we've got a falling Aussie dollar as well, which might make us better value for foreign tourists. So inbound tourism uh, might be doing a little bit better as well. I mean, Qantas is uh, earnings a little way off, but Hello World, the travel agency chain, they upgraded their guidance. I mean, this is a sector that was supposedly on its knees during COVID. Seems to be doing okay now. Yeah, they got a bit of help. And yeah, yeah that's true. Just a little through. bit. It's, uh, yeah, travel's incredible. I think this is one sector that everybody's watching really closely. And the question is to what extent this is one of those extraordinary COVID shifts in demand, right? There was that period where we all had to buy a home computer and we had to buy a screen and a desk. So we bought all of that stuff in one go, goods inflation through the roof, goods purchases, particularly online, go through the roof. And then they fall off a cliff because you bought everything you needed. And now we have the travel boom because you couldn't go anywhere for ages. We had closed borders, lockdowns for months on end, depending on where you were living. You couldn't travel. Now you've got credits you want to use. You're just desperate to get out of the country. You pass it's been renewed, let's go. But when we look at NAB surveys of people who are saying we are going to be tightening our belts, travel's in the top five things they're cutting back on. So this is where earnings is one thing, guidance is another, right? I really, really want to see what do your forward bookings look like in some jurisdictions in Australia, Byron Bay and so on. Bookings are way down for September school holidays and Christmas school holidays. Does that tell us it was just a bubble? Everyone kind of had their little window to travel and now we're done because we haven't got any money yeah. left? So it's looking at that next level of data, isn't it? Or trying to get as much real-time data as you can to to supplement what you're seeing in that in that in that earnings and and forward guidance. Yeah, you're looking to the lead indicators, right? Your bookings are all your lead indicators, and that's what people are really interested yeah. in at the moment. So I know you know you folks in the uh, in the share space talk about the moat. <laughs> what is the uh, how big is the moat that you've built to stop your competitors coming over that moat and taking all your business away? Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you even how do you gauge that? I guess that is the forward guidance that you're talking about. It's how original is the idea, and again, you talked about the the strength of the management team. They're all the things that make the moat that little bit wider, aren't they? I think moat's a really interesting one. It's certainly true in the healthcare sector that I was talking about. Financials, yeah, when we go back to the really dominant companies in Australia, and when we look at the ASX, like 48% of the ASX 200 is 10 companies. And some of them don't have a great moat. Telstra is one of them. Like it's it's a big company, sure. And maybe you don't want to go and spend squillions of dollars trying to uh, deliver telecoms in Australia because it's, it's a big brown land. Yeah, but I mean, um, the regulators helped a little bit for companies doing that, haven't they? Yeah, they do their bit, don't they? <laughs> but we've got this sort of oligopolistic approach with banking and Your point about fintechs is really interesting. They're sort of nibbling away at the margins and trying to take pieces out of that. But in a higher rate environment, they're under real pressure. And this is where the banks can kind of go back to their strength. We've got this massive balance sheet and you are going to find it very, very difficult to break that down. Uh, So the banks are in a relatively strong position, even though everyone is really concerned about a weakening consumer. The miners... You can get a new mine up and running, sure. But to be honest, to compete with your BHPs and your Rios, you've got a bit of work on your hands, right? So Australia's biggest companies tend to have massive moats. Uh, CSL also, uh, it's top 10, it's top three. Uh, you know, 
their level of innovation, their book of innovation is enormous with R&D, but they've also got their sort of premium products. They obviously had that massive acquisition and that's going to be interesting to see how they do, they digest that. But we tend to have very strong moats in that sort of top end of town. Top end of town is half your portfolio if you're just in the ASX. It's everything after that that you start looking at it and going, okay, What's happening here? Right. But, I mean, we've got to go now, Jammer. But it, it sounds like you're, you're saying play it safe, you know, in, t- in times like this. I mean, that, that what, what does that do for innovation if we are all just uh, going for the big moats? <laughs> I think for a lot of investors at the moment, what we're seeing is investors are pretty comfortable with what they currently own. They're only really moving at the margins. So we see every day what investors are doing on NavTrade. The cash book is high, really high, partly because you're getting a much better return than you have over the last decade and partly because there's nothing super cheap on the market at the moment and it would take that significant deterioration in earnings and probably in guidance to create any real bargains for anyone to jump on. And then if you're buying those bargains, it's because you're looking through the next 12 to 18 months and going, okay, things will turn a corner. But at the moment, you can see quite clearly our guys just aren't seeing that. They're pretty happy. Right, we have to leave it there, Gemma, because, you know, during the week we have to we have to finish because people have, have got a job to do. This is the weekend edition. People have got <laughs> coffee and avocado, crushed avocado on toast to go and eat. So uh, we don't want to stop them from that. Great to talk. We'll have you on again soon, I'm sure. Great to talk, Gemma. Thank you. And Gemma did say that a lot of what is driving the share market right now is the macro picture. And we talk the macro on the morning call each weekday. If you haven't heard the weekday edition, if you've just tuned in for the weekend, subscribe to this podcast and you'll get the weekday uh, weekday edition as well. And on that basis, I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. I will see you on Monday morning. Enjoy your weekend. The weekend edition.